All right. Well, I was going to introduce myself, and Jordan pretty much did that, so that's good. Saves, saves a little time. But like you said, this is my first time ever doing this, so thank you for being here. Um, I also want to give a special shout-out to Derek for coming. Uh, a few people came up from Ames, but uh, so Derek was the best man at my wedding, and he uh, is in training to be a pastor. He's doing the residency. He's working with Salt Company down in Ames. And this summer, he had the opportunity to give his first sermon. And during that sermon, <clears throat> things transpired. And in one of his analogies, he accidentally referenced his girlfriend's breasts. And so as long as I don't do that, I think we're going to be OK here. So thank you to Derek for taking the pressure off of me tonight. Um, no way to transition out of that. So we're just going to dive in. Um, <clears throat> All right, so open up your Bibles to Colossians 1. We're going to start in uh, verse 24. Uh, so most of you probably have the title in your, in your Bible, Paul's Ministry to the Church. And so in this section, Paul is appealing to the Colossian church and telling them how much he cares about them. And he's telling them what he wants them to know and what he desires for them as a people and as a church. Uh, and so as we go through it, I'm going to try to unpack for you tonight um, that Paul is offering us the question to, or the answers to three different questions that we often ask. And these questions are, how did I get here? Uh, what am I supposed to do? And what is the point? And people all over the world ask this question in, in all sorts of scenarios. And the answers that we develop to these three questions really affect the decisions that we make and affect the way that we live our life and affect our hope. Um, and so what I think we can get out of this passage is Paul saying to the Colossian church um, why they're a part of the church, how they got there, what they're supposed to do as the church, and, and why, what, it, like, what the point in that is. And so um, I'm pretty excited. So we're just going to hop in. Uh, verse 24. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I'm filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God, that was given to me for you, to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom, that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you, and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance, of understanding, and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures and wisdom and knowledge. Uh, I just want to pray pretty quick for tonight. <clears throat> Lord, thank you for this passage, and thank you for... Uh, inspiring Paul to write it and how much he cared about the Colossian church and how much uh, he cares and you care about us and uh, all he wanted was for them to follow you and to know you and so Lord I pray that that is the same tonight so spirit reveal to us how much you love us and help us um, to pin our hope on you and to look to you for the understanding of what we uh, what our lives are about Lord so uh, just enter this room and speak to us tonight Amen. So <clears throat> the first thing that I think we can, 
the first question that I think we can glean and answer from this passage is the Colossian church asking, how did I get here? How, like, why am I a part of this church? Like, what am I doing here? Um, so before I get into that, I want to quickly just touch on what Paul says in verse 24. And when he says, in my flesh, I'm filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body. That is the church. So the first time I read this, I'm like, what the heck? What could possibly be lacking in Christ's afflictions? Like, what, what could Paul possibly mean by that? Um, and obviously, there's a little bit of debate of what he means. But I can assure you that what Paul does not mean is that Jesus' suffering on the cross was in any way inadequate for us. Okay, so he's not saying that, oh, I'm, I'm suffering so that the stuff that Jesus did, which wasn't quite good enough to save you, can actually uh, be good enough to save you. Uh, the rest of the Bible and the rest of Paul's teaching is abundantly clear that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and that no one comes to the Father except through him. And so when we accept Jesus, what he did for us is, is fully adequate to pay for our sin. Uh, so he's not saying that. And so I'm not going to try to convince you to also accept Paul into your heart tonight. Um, I think Jordan would probably kill me if I tried to do that, so we won't do that. Um, <clears throat> so what I kind of think he's saying... Um, what I think makes the most sense is that when Jesus was alive, he experienced a lot of persecution because the world hated him and hated what he stood for. Uh, he was offensive. And so he experienced this persecution for Jesus and what he teaches and for the people that follow him still exist today. And Paul is experiencing that right now. So he's actually in jail, writing this letter from jail. So he's experiencing this persecution. And so I, I think he's rejoicing He's saying that he rejoices in the suffering that he is having because it means that he is a part of, of Jesus' mission. He's a part of God's will and plan to bring the gospel to the ends of the world because if that happens, people are going to push back and people are going to persecute. And so I think that's what, kind of, that's what Paul is talking about here is that he gets to be a part of that. He gets to be a part of the church's mission in that. Um, so that's kind of totally unrelated, but... I was like, I can't just let that be, be there. So we're back on. Um, all right, so how did I get here? How did the Colossian church become a part of the church? So in verse 25 through 27, I think Paul is, is reminding the Colossian church of, of how they got brought in and why they are a part of the family of God. So he says, He became a minister according to the stewardship from God, that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. So he says this mystery is is what they're a part of. It's revealed to his saints. What is this mystery? And thankfully, a lot of times when Paul brings something up confusing, he explains it right again after, so we can go to the next verse. And he says, the glory of this mystery which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. So the mystery is Jesus. And it's the fact that as Gentiles, it's revealed to the Gentiles, us, people who are not originally a part of the people of God, but have been brought in because Jesus um, was the sacrifice for us so that we could be a part of his family. And so we as people who were originally alienated from God have been brought in and can now be in a relationship with God. And... That is just a beautiful thing for the, for the Colossian church to remember is that the reason that they're a part of the church is not because of anything that they've done, but it's because of Jesus. And now that they're in Jesus and they're hidden in him, 
they have this hope of glory that um, is an assurance that when they die, they then get to continue to be a part of this family. They don't have to worry that um, they're going to be separated from God. Um, And Paul says that this mystery has been hidden for ages and generations, but is now revealed to his saints. So the reason he says that is because throughout the entire Old Testament, um, the people of God have been looking forward to this promised Messiah that would come and save them and be their king. And this actually started all the way back in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve. And so at creation, Adam and Eve were in the Garden of Eden with God, and it was perfect. They were in a relationship with God, and it's, it's a bliss that we can't imagine. It's a, it's a state of joy that um, we can't even fathom. They had no shame of not standing up to God. They had no guilt that they um, <clears throat> wouldn't, they had no guilt of past failures. They were just in a relationship with God, and they were perfectly loved. Um, but then in an instant they sinned, and it was over because there had to be consequence for this sin. And so God, in his love, actually threw them out of the garden so that they didn't have to be forever in this um, relationship of not being right with him. Um, and as he's, as he's explaining the consequences of their sin, in the, in the middle there he talks about that one day there will be a man who comes to redeem them and to save them from their sin um, and defeat Satan and end this curse that he had to, had to hand down. And so from that point on, God's people are now looking forward to the day where this Messiah will come. Um, and so literally for all of human history, from creation to Jesus, people are just waiting. And they're waiting. And there's hundreds of prophecies in the Old Testament, if you go through, that talk about the Messiah and what, he, what he's going to be like and where he's going to come from. And I can just imagine the Jewish people just sitting, reading through the New Testament, hearing what the prophets are saying, and just wondering and hoping that they would be a part of the generation that got to see this Messiah come. And so many of those generations just didn't get to see it and didn't get to see it and didn't get to see it. And so the whole hope of these people, everything that they were pinning their faith on, just like, didn't, didn't happen for them. And, and they are just continuing to wait for generation and generation. Um, okay. Let's put pot. Who do I have any Stranger Things fa- Stranger Things fans in here? Yes, thank you. Okay, amen. <clears throat> All right, so Stranger Things actually drops tonight, like 2 a.m. season two. I've been waiting for this for an entire year. Okay, and so at the end of season one, if you haven't seen it, I'm not going to try to spoil it too much. But one of the main characters basically sacrifices himself, and they're gone, and we're not sure what happens to them, okay? And so I've just been waiting for a year to figure out what the heck happens to Eleven. And if any of you have, like, are the people that go and look at, like, the spoiler trailers and know what is going to happen to Eleven, like, don't, don't tell me. I don't want to know. Um, my wife is one of those people that looks up the, the endings to all the, like, everything before they happen because she just, like, doesn't like to wait. And it drives me crazy a little bit, but I still love her. Um, <clears throat> so anyway, just don't tell me. But... I can't even stand waiting a year to find out what happened to this fictional character in a TV show. And so I can't imagine, like, what the Jewish people would have felt as they're just anticipating and anticipating for thousands of years um, the entire hope of their faith and what they're, what they're waiting for in this Messiah. Um, and the amazing thing is, and the reason that Paul is so eager to tell the Colossians this, is that we get to look back and see that that was Jesus. And we get to look back and see that that mystery for thousands of years has been revealed to us, and we have been brought into it. Um, and that is just incredible. 
And not only do we get to see the fulfillment of all these prophecies, but it actually means something for us too. As people who weren't originally part of those promises, we get brought in and it completely changes the way that we relate to God. And so for all of <clears throat> in the Old Testament, the people are having to perform sacrifices and wear all these fancy clothes and do all these things just to have their sins forgiven and much less to be able to come into the presence of God. Only one person once a year could actually come into the presence of God in the Old Testament. Um, and it was only if they did a bunch of crazy things. And um, now we, as a part of God's family, because of Jesus, because of his perfection that he's given to us, now get to stand before God without fear. We get to stand before God and actually approach him in prayer and stand before the throne of God and say like, with confidence that we deserve to be there only because of what Jesus did. And like, if you think about like, the history that has gone into that, it's honestly nuts that that is the place in history that we have been fortunate enough to be born into and um, fortunate enough to be uh, able to be able to be called children of God because of the inheritance that we've been given. Excuse me. So, I think, so this is what Paul is reminding <clears throat> the Colossians of is that they've been brought into this family. And so that is how the Colossians got to where they are. And it's the foundation of what Paul wants to build their life on. So I think the second thing that Paul is answering for the Colossians is, okay, I'm part of this family. I'm part of this thing that, um, that you're telling me about. What do I do about it? Like, what, can, what am I supposed to do? So he, he goes on. He says, Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom, that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works in me. Okay, so imagine I'm going to go to the Boundary Waters. And so I'm packing all my gear. <clears throat> I've got my canoe. I'm headed up north. And I, I have this, out, this outfitter that's going to bring me in. So I go to the outfitter. They're driving me out on these gravel roads, and they drop me at the lake. So I throw all my gear in the canoe, push it out, and I just start paddling. And I just start going. And... I say, oh, there's a portage. I'm just going to go on this portage. And for the next three days, as long as I'm going to be in there, I just go wherever I feel like it, wherever I want to go. And I'm never looking at a map. I'm never trying to get anywhere. Like, what's going to happen to me at the end of those three days? I'm going to be stinking lost. And <laughs> quite possibly someone will never find me. They're going to have to send rescue teams. And it's going to be a bad deal. So what, what went wrong? When I set out, I didn't have an end goal. I didn't have a destination. I didn't have a place that I was trying to get. So I think in these verses, Paul is telling the Colossians what their end goal is. He's saying what the end goal of not only his ministry, but our lives is. And for him, he says, <clears throat> Him we proclaim, warning everyone that we may present everyone mature in Christ. And so Paul's goal is to be able to say that the Colossians are mature in Christ. So if that's Paul's goal for the Colossians, that is our goal in our walk with Jesus, is to become mature in Christ, so that when we stand before him, we can say, like, I've lived my life for you. Um, and this can be a really, a really daunting thing, and we don't really know what that means. Like, what does it mean to be mature in Christ? So often in our culture, we're given these microwave options of, of how to get things. And so, yeah, you see, like, the shake weight and... You have diet pills, and you have get-rich-quick schemes. And it's all these things that are what culture tells us is an easy way to get something that takes 
a long time to get, and you, we just can get it now if we just act. But that's not the way it works. We know that. We know it's fake. We know that never works. And so <clears throat> the best way that I've heard it described, uh, and I guess the Bible always describes our, walk with, or our relationship with Jesus as a walk. And so it's putting one foot in front of the other. And the best way that I've understood what it means to be mature in Christ is that as we're walking with Jesus, as we're doing things daily to learn about him and to grow in him, we're putting down a brick every time. So we just put down a brick every single day. And so you don't really notice anything in the moment. You're just putting down a brick, whatever, whatever. And then 20, 30, 40 years down the road as you've been walking with Jesus, you can look back at the end of your life and you just see this brick wall of faith that you've built and this solid foundation of walking with Christ and learning about him and loving him that you can say, like, this is how I've become mature in Christ. It's just little steps of obedience day after day after day. Um, so how can we actually lay bricks? How do we get mature in Christ? Um, and it's really quite simple. And, and the answer is, is that you have to spend time with Jesus. If you want to get to know someone, you have to spend time with them. And Jesus is another relationship uh, that, or is another person that we can be in a relationship. And so we just spend time with him. And the way we do that is by going to the scripture, spending time in the word, meditating on it, actually not just reading it and checking the box, but actually thinking about what it means for our lives and trying to apply it. It means getting away from the city, getting away from campus and the lights and the sounds and just quieting yourself and trying to listen to what God has to say to you instead of just you know, having our prayer time where we tell God all the things that are wrong with our life and hope that he fixes it and never actually pause to think about what he might have to say to us and how we relate to him. Um, and... I don't want you guys to hear me say that like, our spiritual standing before Christ, like this legacy of faith that we leave, like depends and is reliant on how you're doing in your spiritual disciplines. Okay? And so a lot of times I'll ask people how they're doing in their walk with Jesus, and they'll be like, oh, well, <laughs> I'm actually doing really good. Like, I read my Bible every day this week, and I prayed a couple times. And I'm like, okay, well, how's your relationship with Jesus? Because... Like reading our Bibles and praying while that's ways that we get to know Jesus, that isn't our walk with him. That's not how our spiritual standing is defined. And like for years, that is how I saw it. And even now, a lot of times I feel tempted to see my spiritual disciplines that way. And so like if I'm struggling to get into the word, if I'm struggling to wake up and, and pray, like I feel this weight and like this pressure that I need to be doing it because it's how I think that I'm justified. But that's not how it is. Our spiritual health is how much we love Jesus. And it's the fruit that's being born in our life uh, through him. The fruits of the Spirit and who we're sharing with and how we're loving people. So just like a plant needs water, food, and nurturing to grow and flourish, <clears throat> our spiritual disciplines are merely tools and means by which we grow in our relationship with Jesus. And so like, I want you guys to fight to prioritize your spiritual disciplines. Like That's a really good thing because... If you don't water the plants, the plants will die. And if you don't, if you aren't disciplined in getting in and spending time with the Lord, like you won't grow in Him. You won't love Him more. And that's just the way it is. Um, but yeah, not in any way to to shame you into that. But just legitimately, like you will see your life transformed when you begin to spend time with the Savior. Um, so that 
is how uh, we become mature in Christ. That is what we're supposed to do. Um, but that leads us directly into this third question that um, I think is important to ask, and that is, what's the point? Like, why should I do that? What, why, why would I want to um, change around my schedule and do these hard things and be in community and uh, do all these things? And the answer is, uh, I think, chapter 2, verse 1 through 3. Paul says, For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you, and for those at Laodicea, and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And so right off the bat, Paul again emphasizes how much he's like yearning and struggling for these people to listen to and hear what he's saying. And then he goes on and says, for all who have not seen me face to face. So he hasn't even met these people. He doesn't even know these people that he's writing to. So why the heck would Paul care so much about these people that he's never met? Why would he want them to listen to him and know these things? It's because he's tasted the beauty of following Jesus. He knows what it's about. He knows how much better it is than any other attempt at understanding we try to live for. And so if you don't know a ton about Paul's life, um, before he was going around writing letters to churches, preaching, being a missionary around the world, writing half of the New Testament, small stuff like that. Um, he was actually a Jewish religious leader. He was a Pharisee. Um, and he basically dedicated his life to persecuting followers of Jesus. And he believed that they were leaving the true faith, and he believed that they were bailing on God by not following all these rules and regulations that he thought were necessary to be made right with God. And so he actually like oversaw the stoning of people who professed Jesus. And he drug people from their homes and brought them to jail. And so that was Paul. But then now we see Paul here. So what, I mean, what happened? And so if you, I won't go and read it, but um, I think you should go read Acts chapter 9 um, later. And this just details how Paul is walking on the road right after overseeing the death of Stephen. And this bright light shines and uh, this voice calls out, Paul, Paul, why are you persecuting me? And Paul is blinded, falls on his face, and is like, uh, what's going on? And Jesus calls out to him and says that like, he can't keep living this way. And so Paul gets up and he's blind, and um, basically God sends uh, this, this man that he spoke to to go, and this man heals Saul, restores his sight to him, and Paul is so enchanged by this counter on the road with Jesus that immediately as he's restored his sight, he goes and he's baptized. And he goes right back to the same place where he was dragging people out of their homes and he starts proclaiming in the synagogue where he was a religious leader that Jesus is real and that he's the Messiah. And so you literally see over, overnight this change. And people basically think he's crazy. They think he's trying to trick them so that he can go and kill them. But he just professes that Jesus is the Christ and that he's going to live his life for him. And so Paul goes from being a person who is dragging people out of their homes uh, into, to go to prison to someone who is in prison for the same thing that he was just persecuting people for. And, like, so I live in a city that's named after him now <laughs> because of, like, the life that he then began to live. Um, it's just crazy. And... So, like Jordan has been saying over and over, and I'm sure he, he will continue to say, is there's a difference between knowing about Jesus and actually knowing Jesus. 
And actually knowing Jesus changes you. So Paul knew all about Jesus and what he claimed to be, but he never actually changed until he met him, until he knew him. And so it wasn't until he gave up his understanding that he actually was able to receive the fullness of joy. And I think that is what he's reminding the Colossians of here. So again, last week Jordan talked about um, how in, in Colossae at the time there were these false teachers who were trying to tell people that there was other things that were needed on top of Jesus in order to reach this like true spiritual fulfillment. Or they were even, there's likely people just totally putting Jesus to the side and just living for other things, like trying to get this fulfillment um, and just trying to find truth in other places. And so they weren't trusting that Jesus was enough and it was ultimately blinding them of the truth. Uh, and so I think I want to highlight three major ways that I think we do the exact same thing in our lives uh, today. <clears throat> and we try to, you know, trust in other things besides Jesus for our understanding of the world and for our fulfillment. And so the first one that I want to highlight is I think a lot of us are the Bible quiz champion. And so like Paul, we seek understanding and justification from this religious knowledge and good works. Okay, we just follow the rules and we try to get justification that way. Um, that's, that was me a long time, and I, I, I want to ask you, like, how's that going for you? Like, do you feel closer to God because of trying to do the rules, trying to um, say the right thing? We work, and we work to say the right things, to act a certain way, to be more clean than the person who sits next to us in class. Um, we just churn for this justification from works. And ultimately, it can do one of two things. It can either leave us extremely prideful or it can burn us out. And most of the time, I think it does both. So we think we're really great and we try to justify, justify ourselves before God and before other people. But <clears throat> like, trust me, I'm speaking from experience because this is how I lived the first 20 years of my life. Um, that it just crushes you from the weight of needing to perform. And so you do the religious thing, and at the end of the day, you go home and you just like wonder if you did enough, and you wonder if people are accepting you or they, if they think you're good enough. Um, I think probably a lot of you uh, know what I mean in that feeling. Uh, so maybe you aren't coming from a religious background. Maybe that's not you, or maybe you just haven't experienced that, but you're the one who tries to be the most interesting man in the world. Right, And so <clears throat> you seek fulfillment in all this cultural knowledge, all this like cool hipness, and you go and you have to be the one at the party who's got the cool story about this thing they did, or you're the one that has to correct the person who said the wrong thing about you know, what hint of cocoa is in that flavor of coffee. And, um, you're like, and you're even like a little bit jealous when someone else gets the attention or someone else says something that you like really wanted to say in that moment, and you just like, are divisive towards that person. And like you're even going and you're trying to like seek these thrills and go to all these cool places so that you can tell other people about it and just gain this fulfillment from this, whether it's an adrenaline rush or endorphins or whatever you get from this. And each time it just becomes a little bit less satisfying, a little bit less cool, and more and more crushing as you just realize that ultimately the things that you're trying to get fulfillment from are leaving you empty. And people really don't think you're that cool. And that, that 
kills you inside. Um, and like, I just want to tell you to stop. It, like, Jesus was the most interesting man in the world. Like, you don't have to be. Um, maybe, maybe you guys fall into a third camp of the national merit scholar, okay? And so you seek fulfillment from your success in school, hoping and uh, praying that if you study hard and get good grades that you'll get this perfect internship and get this perfect job and make a bunch of money and get promoted. And you're pinning all of your hope on a pipe dream, essentially, because all you're going to be doing your entire life is just churning for the next thing and churning for the next thing. You're going to try to get this promotion, and it's not going to be enough. You're going to try to get the extra dollar, and you're going to realize that that money just leaves you empty. And so you guys, like, sacrifice friendships, and you sacrifice time spent in community so that you can maybe get half a letter grade better on your test. Like, is that ultimately going to bring you a full life? Is that ultimately going to satisfy you? Um, <clears throat> it's, it's not. Like, look at the people in culture that do this. People working 50, 60, 70 hours a week, you see them walk around and they're just shells of people. Like, they don't have joy. They're obsessed with themselves and they're obsessed with success and it, it ends them, essentially. And so please do not let yourself fall in this trap. Don't, don't let career success and money and good grades rob you of the joy that Jesus is offering you. Um, please, yeah. So, yeah, through... Through this portion of the text, Paul is reminding the Colossians not to listen to the false teachers. And so these are the false teachings of our time. It's religiosity, it's hipness, it's cool, it's adventure, and it's career success that culture is telling us we need to reach fulfillment. And so do not listen to the false teachers. Nothing, nothing outside of Jesus will ever satisfy you guys. Like Paul is begging, and he would know better than anyone else in history that this is true, and he's begging for them to fight for each other, to be knit together in love, to constantly be reminding each other that Jesus is better and that Jesus is the only thing that is going to fulfill them. In Jesus are all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, guys. Like, we live in such a short portion of eternity, and we just live for this little speck when we have eternity to live for us. And promised treasures, if we just give up our attempt at understanding and trust that Jesus is all the fulfillment and understanding that we'll ever need. Um, I realized that this was true uh, freshman year when I got involved in a connection group with Salt, like Jordan said. Um, and the love and experience that, or the love that I felt from um, guys in my connection group, I look up, I see a couple guys who were in that group. Um, <clears throat> and the love that they showed me through my sin and as I realized for the first time that me trying to get um, status and success for myself was leaving me empty and to just have guys who didn't care about who I was, they didn't care about my performance on the track or in the classroom or anything like that. They just, um, yeah, they, they just loved me for who I was and reminded me that, that Jesus loved me for who I was and died for me for who I was, and that absolutely transformed my life. And Paul is saying the same thing. He's like, be knit together in love, encouraging each other. And so, guys, like, I want the same for you. I want you to experience the, the joy of knowing Christ that comes by being loved in community. And so get plugged into a connection group. Like, dive in to 
salt company. And I, like, honestly, if, if for some reason you don't feel like salt company is for you, like dive in somewhere else. Like, all we care about is that you follow Jesus. All we care about is that you are in a community that will remind you daily, remind you weekly that he loves you and that he died for you for who you are and that no amount of performance or other thing in this world will satisfy. On Thursday nights, like sit under the teaching of awesome guys like Jordan and Drew who do a heck of a lot better job of pointing people to Jesus than I do. And come to Salt Seed Church on Sunday uh, and look at what it means to be a part of a local body of believers. And like Paul, all of his writings are to churches. And so I think that's a pretty good clue that the church is an important thing for us to be a part of as we live and try to follow Jesus. And so, guys, ultimately, it's not about, it's not about being involved in the church, though. It's about knowing Jesus, and that's what we want for you. It is so much sweeter and better than anything else. And the emptiness that you'll feel chasing after other things, like, I just, my heart hurts for people who who chase after the wind, and it just turns out to be vanity um, and pointless. And so, guys, Jesus is good, and he loves us, and this mystery that we can look back and see and look at how he's the fulfillment of everything that uh, thousands of years of history has pointed to uh, is, a, is a really sweet thing, guys. So I just, that's what I want for you. I want you to have the assurance of salvation and, and the riches that heaven will bring. Um, and, and even the riches of, of joy that, we'll, that you'll experience in this life too. So that's my prayer for you guys. Uh, let's pray. Jesus, you are good. You are so much better than our efforts. You're so much better than um, who we try to be, Lord. And um, you can tell us way better than I can about the love that you have for us. And so speak to each person in here how much you love them, Father. Tell them daily how much you are better than anything else they're trying to chase, Lord. And so, um, yeah, Lord, you're good. We love you. We thank you for being perfect when we could not. Yeah, Lord, we love you. Amen.